0: You can clap if you want. You can clap loud enough that they can hear you at home, right? Hey, good morning. If you uh, think about it, one of the great ways to do that, we have this long list of people who have asked for help, uh, some of our senior, some of the just people who can't do what they need to do in their yard for various reasons, and uh, at the moment we're not going to be able to serve everybody that's asked for it. Uh, but, if you think about it, maybe sign up as a family. great opportunity to do it. Sign up as a small group. Uh, we would love to just be able to uh, roll out for those two different Saturdays and just really help the body to uh, do what they need to do but we 're glad you 're here this morning, whether you 're in the building or you 're online. Uh, Meg and I have had some conversations over the last week with people who have expressed that um, church is hard right now, and it doesn 't feel the same and I just wanna encourage you, we know that, and uh, we are trying to find our new rhythm along with you, and I just encourage you to stick with us as we try to figure this out. Uh, if you're comfortable being here, which obviously those of you who are sitting here must be, uh, we're glad for that. I want to encourage those of you who are online, just keep plugging in, keep being a part of this because God is still working, and uh, if uh, hopefully you just are experiencing that as well. Hey, uh, on a little bit different note, before we get into Joseph, I want to share a passage of scripture with you, uh, kind of to set up a video and another opportunity, but this is a, a rather familiar passage for a lot of you, and it's a passage that if we would uh, think about this, if we would meditate on this, if we would implement this one passage into our lives, it would change everything. It would change uh, our families. It would change the community. It would certainly change uh, those Facebook and uh, tweets that we're putting out there, Uh, but this is the verse. It's Micah 6, 8, and the prophet writes these words. He says, he, that's God, has told you, O man, what is good. God has told you already what is good. And what does he require of you? So he's told you what's good and he told you what's required. He didn't tell you what's sort of okay. He told you what's good and he didn't tell you what's suggested. This is what's required. But that you do justice, you love kindness, and you walk humbly with God. The passage is is saying everybody, when it says man, it's talking about, okay, humans, this is God's requirement of you. Walk faithfully with God, and this is what you need to do. Do justice, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but it says that we are to love mercy or love, some of your translations say kindness. But the word actually there is that word that I talk about all the time, chesed, which is H-E-S-E-D. It's when you're reading through the Psalms and you see steadfast love, that's that word. Chesed, it actually says love, steadfast love, this kind of love that's radical. When we sing songs like, like the, the the God's never-ending, overwhelming love, the, God's, God, the way God pours out his love on us, it's a love that's kind of unearned, undeserved, but radical, even somewhat reckless at times. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. We are to love that kind of love. Does that make sense? That's the kind of love we're supposed to strive for. And it says we're supposed to walk humbly. It means that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Imagine how different our interactions would be If we started from a standpoint of we may not always be right, we may not know as much as we think we know, and we certainly don't know where another person is coming from, we certainly don't understand all of their story, but to walk humbly is to think of others as better than yourself. And then it says to do justice. And this is the ultimate equalizer, right? It eradicates any form of oppression, it rights the wrongs. As we're going to see in our story of Joseph today, even as we, as we unpack what goes on in this uh, 37th chapter, if this idea of, of doing justice, of walking humbly, of loving mercy were on the forefront of the brothers, the story of Joseph would be completely different. But before we jump into Joseph, I want to show you this video because the video is an opportunity for us to do justice. When I started uh, Soar Detroit over 20 years ago, it came out of a, a trip down to Pittsburgh where I heard a pastor preach on justice. And I began to pray and ask God, like, what is it that we can do? What does justice look like in our community? And out of that came Eagle Sports and eventually Soar Detroit. So this is an opportunity for us as a church to do justice. So let's watch this video. Amen. So we are in this season of uh, racial tension. We are in a season of political tension. Uh, this is what I hear all the time. People say to me, so what can we do? What should we be doing as a church? What is our calling? And one of the things we need to do is we need to stand against those things that are wrong, but we have an opportunity to actually address one of the most st- systemic problems in our country. The broken education system in the urban environment is a, just a gross injustice. And we have a chance as a church to step in. As a matter of fact, Detroit Public Schools has called Soar Detroit, The Shining Star. And they've basically said, you can go into any school you want to. We have this wide open door to go into the schools and and to help the kids. At this moment, right now, we need 400 mentors. 400 mentors, if we're going to serve the kids we already have. If we had 1,000 mentors, we could serve another 500 kids. So anyway, what I want you to do today is, if you are willing, I would love for you to text SOAR. Wow, that's really small. Text SOAR to 52566. So you just put in your, the message in there, you put in SOAR, and the number you want to to put it to is 52566. Wow, I should have worn my glasses today. That's really small. Anyway, it's on the left right here. If you text SOAR, we will send you everything you need. We will train you. We will give you everything you need. And the beauty of it is all the tutoring is done virtually now. So it used to be you had to go to the school or you had to come to the church and spend an hour with the kid. But now you can do it on your lunch break. You can do it from your house. Uh, We are all becoming experts in Zooming. I think I just made a new word. But anyway, so uh, I'd love for you to do it. If you're willing to to tutor, just text SOAR to 525... 6 5. Thank you. All right. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter th- 37. Uh, We're in week three of Average Joe. Uh, We're kind of learning how it is that we can navigate the unexpected. Uh, Just a reminder, if you're at home or if you're here, I would love for you to have your Bible with you. If you use an electronic reader, uh, that's fine. But if you just have that in front of you, it's going to make it better. If you have something to write on or take notes, uh, that would be great as well. Uh, The first week, what did we see? We looked at the book of Acts where it talks about Joseph and it says, even though he went through all of these hard times, it says, but... The Lord was with him. And the takeaway there was even when we go through difficult seasons, even when we are having uh, these, these, these things going on in our lives, that we can count on the fact that God is with us. Last week, we looked at the devastating effects of undealt with family sin patterns, and it stirred a lot of people up, and I've had a lot of conversations with you. My encouragement to you is to stay in that, to continue to ask the Lord to show you those those sin patterns, those common things in your family, and if you need prayer, I know Madeline told me that lots of people signed up for restorative prayer. Lots of people came in the chapel. If you feel like there's more work to do there, keep digging in, keep leaning in, and look at those family of origin, those family sin patterns, because they have a devastating devastating effect on us and on our kids. All right, Genesis 37. We're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. You got it? That was very unenthusiastic. You got it? All right, much better. And there's only about a third of you in here, so you're going to have to all yell louder. It makes it it easier for me. All right, starting in verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Remember Israel, Jacob, same person. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron. And he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan.'" So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them in Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Galilee and with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way, carrying it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother in our own flesh. Sounds noble, huh? And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and he saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and where shall I go? And then they took Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat and dripped the robe in blood, dipped the robe in blood and said, this is, oh, excuse me, dipped the robe in blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found, please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph, without doubt, has torn into pieces. Then Jacob Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloths on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol with my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile... The Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Lord, I pray in these just next few minutes that you would open our hearts and you would open our minds, that we would hear what you want us to hear. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance for us to uh, praise you in community. I thank you for the fact that you are truly with us in the midst of hard times. I thank you for the reminder that you are good. I thank you that regardless of circumstances, we can count on you. Lord, I thank you for the story of Joseph. I pray that you would bring it alive in our minds and in our hearts. That each one of us would take application personally. That we would be motivated to live our lives differently because of the story of Joseph. Our prayer this morning is the prayer that we pray every Sunday that we would leave different than we came because we have interacted with the living God. Amen. So let's dive into the story a little bit. One of the things I've been encouraging you to is to engage your imagination. And if you step back from the story right now, one of the things you'll begin to see is that the 10 older brothers are out in the field. They're getting their hands dirty. They're working hard. They're probably sleeping in the fields or in makeshift tents and pens. They've been out. They they don't have showers. They don't have any way of, they have to fend for themselves. They're they're, they're out in the elements working, keeping the family, Family business going. And all the while, Joseph, we don't really know what he was doing, but we can make some assumptions that he's probably just hanging out at home. Maybe he's studying. Maybe he's watching the latest TikTok videos. I don't know. He didn't have TikTok. I know that. Um, You know, maybe he's playing Super Smash Brothers. But I want you to almost have that image in mind. While they're out working, he's back home sort of just hanging out and doing whatever he wants to do. He's spoiled. He's pampered. And even though last time Jacob did this, it caused some problems, he decides to send Joseph out to check on his brothers, to report back to dad. Again, he's, he's giving him this, this huge responsibility at the ripe old age of 17. And the other thing I want you to just think about is Joseph goes out to check on his brothers wearing that coat. Remember last week we talked about this ornate opulent coat that basically says, I'm important, and and he's walking through pastures, he's walking through valleys, he's walking through sheep poop, right, but he's wearing this fancy coat. What is the fancy coat basically saying to anyone who sees him is, I am not planning on doing anything physical. I'm not planning on working. I'm not going to get dirty. I don't have to work. I'm special. So he sends him to go check on his his brothers. He goes to Shechem. Remember last week we talked about Shechem and, and how important that was to the city. I think we have a map that'll pop up here. But he gets to Shechem and he has this encounter with this random person in scripture who says, uh, well, it's, uh, they're not here. They've gone to Dotham. And I just want you to kind of see Shechem's here, a little bit north. And if you were to to look at this and if you were to, to look at a map of all the trade routes, what you would see is Dotham sits on a on a formidable trade route. As a matter of fact, most of the cities in what eventually becomes Israel sit in major trade routes. That's why the cities were birth there and so they are on a major trade route which explains why there's caravans passing by okay so they see joseph a ways off the the passage say why do you think they saw him probably because he's the only guy walking around through the pastures wearing a ridiculous outfit Right, It would be like me going to the mechanic shop to help out and wearing my three-piece suit or whatever. He, just, he stands out. They see him coming a long ways off, and the text says, as they see him, that they begin to conspire. Their jealousy, as the guys talked about this morning, gives way to anger. Their anger gives way to conspiring with one another, and they actually decide they're going to kill their very own brother. But what they're really trying to kill, if you read it, is they're trying to kill the dream. Now the only reason they would want to kill the dream if they believed that there was truth in the dream. If it was just a dream, they wouldn't care. But somehow those brothers knew that there was something to this dream. It was a real possibility. It was a legitimate concern. The coat was a part of the, uh, uh, the, their recognition that he already had favor with his father, that he was probably going to lead over them anyway. So they knew that the dream had merit, and so they decided to squelch the dream. So they're killing their own brother, but what they're really trying to kill is that dream. Reuben hears about this uh, plan. He's there, and, and so he intervenes, right? He comes up with an, an alternative plan. What he proposes is instead of spilling his blood, let's just throw him into this cistern, this deep pit that has smooth walls. No way and let's let him starve to death. Now it's not in there, but that's what he's saying. Let's not shed his blood, let's just throw him in there and he will starve. Now his plan is, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna pull him out and I'm gonna take him back to dad and, and, and I get all that, but when he talks to his brothers, the plan that he sets in place with his brothers is let's not shed his blood, let's let the poor kid starve to death. It's brutal when you think about it. It's absolutely brutal. I spent most of my time this week thinking about Reuben, and on the surface when you read this, it's easy to read it, and there's this appearance that Reuben's motivation was somewhat noble, right? He, he, he wanted to save his brother, but the truth is, as you dig a little bit deeper, you realize there was nothing noble about it. Instead of trying to do the right thing, he tries to trick his brothers to deceive them, And the motivation really was he wanted to save his own neck. He was the oldest son. He was the one in charge. If Joseph came up missing, if Joseph came up dead, he was going to be blamed for that. He was just looking out for his own skin. That's why later on when he says, if dad, what does he say? He says, the, the boy is gone. Where shall I go? What's he saying? He's saying, now I can't even go home because dad's going to be so mad at me. My life is in danger. Where should I go? So they go back to the original plan and they they put blood on the coat and they deceive Jacob. A deception, as far as we can tell, that stays all the way through to the death of Jacob. They never come clean. They always spend their lives looking over their shoulder, wondering if the truth is ever going to be found. Reuben fails to stand for justice. Right? He, he fails to love mercy, that brotherly cassette sort of love. He's guilty of what Archie Kendall calls respectable neutrality. I want to talk about respectable neutrality for just a minute. In an effort to stay in favor with his brothers... Right? He hatches a plan that, that they're going to like, and, and he doesn't really come forward. Imagine as the oldest brother with the position he had defeated just looked at him and said, hey, we can't do this. It's wrong. Right? He had the ability to stand between Joseph and the younger brothers and keep this event from happening to stand for justice. He had the power. He had the influence, but he failed to use his power. He failed to use his influence to do justice. Justice. So when it comes to systems of oppression, right, we are called, Micah tells us, to do justice, not to practice respectable neutrality. Sometimes we have to stand in the gap and say what's wrong. Sometimes we even have to put ourselves in harm's way in order to do justice, but we cannot stay respectably neutral. Let me give you some examples. You are in school, high school, junior high, elementary, doesn't matter. You're in school and you see someone being bullied in the hallway. You know it's wrong you feel angst in your spirit as you watch, you know that person is being oppressed, you know that person is being hurt, maybe both emotionally and physically, but they are being oppressed, and you know you want to do something, but because you don't want to stir things up, because you don't want to bring any attention to yourself, you stay respectfully neutral and you do nothing. You don't want to put yourself in harm's way, worse yet, you don't want to be the victim of the bullying. So you stand back, you watch, you remain respectfully neutral. Let's talk about the recent racial thing that we that we have seen. Most of us probably watched the video of an officer of the law who was sworn to protect kneel on George Floyd's neck until he died. It was without question an injustice. So what do we do when we see an injustice? We stand up and we cry out for justice and we make sure that we are the ones who are saying what happened in this circumstances is wrong. There is no excusing what happened. Now I wanna be clear, you don't have to go out, you don't have to burn buildings. You can do this justice piece respectfully But you cannot sit back and you cannot say, I want to remain respectfully neutral. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to be a part of anything like that. Now, I also want to say this. You can stand for justice and not be anti-police. Right? We have people who have sworn to protect us. We have people who lay their lives on the line to protect us, and we need to honor our public servants. But we can still say something has to change in our society because everyone deserves justice. Dr. King, when he wrote his letters from a Birmingham jail, if you've never read them, I encourage you to read them. It's amazing how apropos they are to our day and age. And he is writing these letters to the church. And what he is saying is, where are you? Right, he's saying to the rest of the believers out there, to the evangelical church, he's saying, where are you? In a sense, he's saying, why are you being respectfully neutral? These are quotes from the letters. He says to the white Christians that they are more devoted, devoted to order than to justice. They prefer a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. He said that we, the church, will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence of good people. What's he talking about? He's talking about this idea of being respectfully neutral. It was in this letter that we found the famous words that most of you have heard injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And the fact is, to be respectfully neutral is to be complicit. We are called in Scripture to do justice. Reuben was called to do justice. The brothers were called to do justice and they failed to do justice. They failed to show brotherly love. When you read the story of Joseph, what's missing from the story is the, the exchange, the emotion. It's very much a historical, fact-by-fact fact thing. But, but if you keep reading the story, when you get to Genesis 42, we get this little picture into just how uh, difficult, just how emotional that scene was. In Genesis 42, the brothers are talking and they say these words, they say to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw his distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Do you you see the picture as you read that? They saw the distress of his soul. They saw Joseph begging for mercy. That's missing in the front, but if we read this, we can begin to see just how colorful, just how heinous the crime was. One act of violence, one sin changed the trajectory Of the brothers' lives forever. As we study this story, we're gonna see that the father never really recovers from his loss. The brothers actually live their entire life. I don't know if it's guilt or fear or what they have, but they are legitimately concerned that someday Dad's going to find out. Someday Joseph, in all of his power, is going to bring about revenge, even though Joseph... so they live with this fear, one sin they live with for the rest of their lives. One of the things that I found fascinating as I studied this story is just how completely unaffected they are in the moment. The text actually says they assault him, they stole his coat, they threw him in a cistern to die of starvation, right, a painful, slow death. This is their brother. And then they immediately sit down and have a meal. Like, I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have a big appetite after something like that, right? It's just an indication of the depravity of their minds, how far they had gotten into this, this conspiring against Joseph. No big deal. Let's just go get something to eat. And here, think about this. They're probably eating the very food that Joseph brought to him. I'm sure when his dad sent him, he said, here, take some fresh bread. Take some fresh herbs. Here's some some nice stewed lamb. I don't know what he brought with him. They had some shawarma, whatever it was. But Joseph showed up with the food. They beat him up. They throw him in a pit. And then they eat the very food that Joseph brought to him. As they're sitting there and they're eating, a caravan approaches. Like I said, caravan after caravan is going by in this area. And Judah says, huh, this is even better. We don't have to kill him, and we get to make a little cash at the same time. We can get rid of him and spare his life, but we get something in exchange. All of this is about their own self-preservation. This caravan comes like a thousand other caravans, but there's one exception, This one caravan is chosen by God to carry the person who will save God's people. But God was with Joseph. If you step back and you look at the story, you begin to see that there are all kinds of moments in this chapter, in this section of chapter 37 that point us to Jesus. Joseph is, is what we call in the Old Testament a, a type of Christ. He is a character in the scriptures that remind us of the story of Christ. What did Jesus say that all of the prophets, all of the stories point towards me. They're all a revelation of who I am. The Old Testament testifies to Jesus. Striking similarities between these two stories. Joseph was sent to his family. They were sent by the Father. Joseph came to his own family, and his family rejected him. You know what John says about Jesus? He said he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jealousy gave way to sinful behavior. Joseph is ridiculed, he's rejected, he's assaulted, and he's thrown into the ground. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were jealous of Jesus, They were afraid of losing their position. And so they had Jesus beaten and ridiculed, placed in the ground, left to die, to bury the dream. But both the stories continue, and just like Jesus, we're going to see that Joseph not only lives, but he lives to save the people. Jesus is laid in the tomb, but the tomb couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead, and he is our salvation. Jesus came to do justice. He came to show us what it looks like to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And he's saying to each one of us today, would you follow my example? Micah 6.8, God has told you what is good, this is what the Lord requires of you, that you do justice, that you love kindness, and you walk humbly with God. Lord, I pray that as we journey through Joseph, that you would show us how to do justice, how to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. that I believe you put opportunities in front of us all the time to do justice. For some of us it's tutoring, but for others it's serving in the schools or standing up for someone who's being oppressed. You call us to do justice and then you place opportunity in front of us. I pray that we would be faithful with those opportunities I pray that we would be, church, known for our kindness, for our love of steadfast love, and for our humility. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to continue to encourage you at least once a week to read through the story of Joseph starting in chapter 37. I am going to skip chapter 38 for those of you who've read ahead. You'll know that we're not really talking about Joseph in 38 so we're going to go to 39 uh, next week but just sit down, read through that once a week. It'll help you to get a grasp of the whole story. God bless you. Glad that you're here. Have a great one. There are people in the chapel who are willing to meet with you and pray. If you just go out this door to the left, if you're online, uh, you can just uh, call up the number that's on there and someone will meet with you and pray with you as well. God bless you.